I, I teach in the MSc in Sustainable Urban Development and I'm also now um, the uh, director of, of our part-time DPhil uh, degree. Um, and I have prepared a presentation today of about 40 to 45 uh, minutes, um, which is based on the project that I've been working on uh, in, for the last couple of years, well, probably a bit longer than a couple of years, but anyway, kind of lose track now. Uh, the project is entitled uh, Electric Urbanism, the Governance of Electricity in Urban Africa. And um, in that project, I used the case study of Maputo to look at the transition to uh, prepaid electricity uh, and look how that has been shaping different uh, uh, urban ways of life in, in African, African cities. Um, I, should, I should make sort of a, a note about uh, my use of the word Africa because I'm going to be um, using Africa as a shortcoming a shortcoming, no, a shortcut for, uh, for sub-Saharan Africa, really. And that's because the, the, the logics of electricity in northern Africa is a bit different, and I don't really address that in my, um, in my, in my work. I mean, uh, so I just, just wanted to make that, that uh, sort of background um, indication. The presentation today looks uh, precisely at how people in Maputo uh, live with and through uncertainty um, in relation to prepaid uh, electricity infrastructures and how that might help us sort of think through uh, the uh, technopolitics of this emerging interaction with, with prepayment. So in order to um, give you a bit of context to uh, the work and what I'll be talking to you today, I, I wanted to tell you a bit of, uh, about a story uh, from my last uh, field trip visit to Maputo uh, last April. And uh, on this occasion, I met uh, Yusuf Adam, who is a retired history professor at the um, uh, Edouard Mondlane University, which is the main university in in, uh, in Mozambique. And uh, Yusuf has done extensive work on issues that relate to Mozambican's post-colonial development and a bit of it um, to do with um, uh, hydropower and some energy stuff. So that's why we, we kind of met together, had a coffee, and um, Yusuf was a bit like, well, so what are you doing here and um, uh, how can I help you? And, and I said, kind of articulated my one sentence of why, why I was there. And I said, well, I'm here to look at the transition of prepayment and uh, how that relates with sort of new views of more modern ways of, uh, of life in the city. And I mean, the moment I said the word modern, Yusuf kind of rattled on his chair and uh, just uh, went on kind of like, nonsense. Uh, the... The issue of electricity in Mozambique has nothing to do with modernity. It's all, all, all a matter of corruption. Uh, and he went on, you know, it starts with a little man in the neighborhood who is stealing electricity and, uh, or paying the staff from the company for um, bribes in order to be able to continue stealing electricity. Or that same middleman in the company who is... Um, in a way, uh, instead of, well, first 
taking the bribes, but then not solving the problems as they should during their work hours, but actually taking on extra income after hours. Um, and it goes all the way up to the top men, he, he kept saying, you know, these people who, uh, through their relationships with the electricity company, are um, somewhat... Uh, taking advantage uh, of, of those connections and that knowledge either to access specific uh, uh, contracts and deals with um, in the energy sector um, and just really uh, extract a system for their own purpose. I mean, I don't think that anyone in this room finds this explanation a novelty. <laughs> And um, I personally also am a bit sceptical of, of, of these sort of, um, how do you say, these sort of uh, very generic grand narratives about uh, the problems in Africa. They come in a way, in a very easy, almost lazy way of explaining away all the problems of the continent. Um, and in a, in a way, if it kind of explains everything, then maybe it actually explains very little or nothing at all. Um, so I sort of challenged Yusuf about that, that narrative. Um, and I said to him, you know, um, first of all, certainly there are problems with brownouts, uh, meaning the quality of electricity in Maputo. But um, comparatively with other cities, African cities, actually there aren't as many blackouts in Maputo. Um, and and uh, second... Uh, for the time that I've been sort of shadowing the, the uh, staff from the electricity company um, uh, over the last few years, that I go with them to the field and see what they are doing and how they are doing it and et cetera, et cetera, it does feel a lot that there's a really genuine um, attempt at uh, improving the service, of reducing the thefts, uh, reducing the instances of uh, staff malpractice, and also, in a way, uh, trying to upgrade the system and extend the grid, even if there are very limited resources. He's trying to be a bit, you know, devil's advocate in relation to, to his sort of claim. And, and then I also said, and one of the reasons, uh, or one of the, one of the elements that seems to be spurring all of this is actually the introduction of prepayment as a technology for people to acquire electricity. And um, in particular, since they moved about two or three years ago into a system where uh, prepayment is actually managed out of a sort of an ICT-based backbone, basically, I mean, a server system, everybody's on the server, so they can have a very... Uh, good control of who is buying and not buying electricity. So they will know if you haven't buy, uh, bought electricity in three months or so, they can come and knock on your door and see what's going on. Um, so I was telling him, well, you know, this, this is, in a way, is affecting at least the small men and the middle men. It might not be doing anything to the top end, but something is actually happening. And, and in a way, it was... He was not very ready to give up his corruption explanation. Uh, uh, but he kind of conceded a bit. And, and he, he, he said, um, well, what they're doing with that thing, with the prepayment, is actually computerizing chaos. 
sorry, that's a very horrendous translation from Portuguese, but that was the best I could get at. Uh, and that computerizing chaos, he said, is they computerize the chaos, but they still leave as many holes as they can um, in order to uh, drain the system for their own personal benefit. I think it's interesting to look at Yusuf's view of computerizing chaos because it's, it has come a bit closer to how I've seen what's uh, going on in Maputo in relation to uh, the prepaid and the electricity system. I think that computerizing chaos, chaos in, in a way, is, is using technology to manage a social order pervaded by disorder. I think that's what he meant. Um, but I guess that the word chaos to me doesn't quite work because there is an underlying order to how electricity is produced, transmitted, uh, you know, distributed and then consumed, even though it is a, a, uh, an order that is sort of uh, attuned to the dynamics and the rhythms of everyday life in, in the city. Um, I think that instead of the word chaos, um, I side a bit more with the work of people like Abdul Malik Simon or um, Edgar Peterson, who uh, <coughs> argue that the defining characteristic of, uh, of Africa's social order is instead one of uncertainty. And anyway, there are many different ways through which we can dis- define uncertainty. Um, one of the colleagues in the department, David Park, uh, in the school, David Pratton, recently edited a, a book with Elizabeth uh, Cooper called uh, Ethnographies of Uncertainty in, in Africa. And there they discussed in, in the introduction two views of uh, uncertainty. And one of them is the sort of, they see uncertainty in a negative light, in a sort of, uh, as a proxy for Africa's permanent uh, uh, state of crisis and, and sort of a problem that needs to be uh, solved and brought under control. The other view uh, they take is a bit, let's say, more positive, uh, and it's a, a view of uncertainty that seeks to examine um, the productive work that uncertainty uh, does as a valuable, albeit double-edged resource that people can mobilize in negotiations of social relations and, uh, and certain uh, social conditions, especially in contexts of contingency and, and provisionality. Um, I think that they, they argue in, that, in, that, uh, in their introduction that the productive uh, work that uncertainty uh, does uh, can be examined by looking at the calculations that people make, uh, their hopes and their imagined futures, and the pragmatic ways they act under uncertainty. I think their pragmatic, this sort of pragmatic action uh, view is close to what colleagues Barbara, Adam, and Chris Groves in their book Future Matters uh, call living with uncertainty, which is in effect making sense of the everyday that will come next using social relations and social conditions uh, to make the everyday as legible as possible so as to provide some sense of of structural security to social life. 
So one could, if we, if we look specifically at, at prepayment, one could say that devices like uh, uh, the utility meters, the, the meters themselves, I mean, and they could be either prepaid or postpaid, it doesn't really matter, the, the, the technical device in itself, uh, is deeply implicated in this process of making sense of the everyday, particularly uh, of the everyday practices of making electricity provision and consumption le legible and manageable. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing that a lot of us here would, would know that meters in themselves as these technical devices, they, they are not neutral. They're not neutral objects. Uh, they are invested with specific sociability and politics of uh, uh, who its users are, what kinds of lives they lead, and their political subjectivity. Um, but meters also reflect uh, the wider nature of the social technical system uh, of which they are uh, part of. Meters reflect the technical specificities of the electricity infrastructure that has been stabilized over time and the urban environments that they have created, uh, as well as the vulnerabilities and the broader politics of the system as a whole. As such, if we pay attention to prepayment and to these, to these particular meters and, and how the electricity uh, grid and this shift to prepayment um, is embedded really in the living with and through uncertainty, if we, if we pay attention to, to that, then we can understand a bit better about the everyday contemporary urbanism of African cities. At least that's my claim. Uh, but apart from this general view, I think there are at least three other reasons uh, why it matters uh, uh, for us to look at how people in African cities are using electricity, either with prepayment or postpayment. Um, and the first reason is that studying electricity in Africa provides insight in, in, insights into the technopolitics of the grid, but in connection with the wider political economy of, of cities uh, uh, across the continent. On the one hand, um, electricity generation, transport, distribution, etc., remains largely a business of the state uh, via, via mostly state-owned uh, utility companies. There's obviously a lot of participation, growing participation of the private sector, but there, and there's also parts of, of, of sub-Saharan Africa, namely uh, occurs to me uh, Somaliland where most of the electricity is actually uh, provided via uh, private, uh, lots of private individuals. But for the most part, the state still has a very strong involvement in, in that. Uh, so access to electricity and particularly the extension of electricity to new populations is then a very important vehicle to examine state society relationships and broader power relations with existing with existing institutions and different institutional arrangements. On the other hand, and related to this, electricity is a form of energy that is still largely produced uh, by means of burning other fuels, namely oil and coal. So how electricity is produced remains largely connected to the histories of resource extraction that characterize much of Africa's history. And with the broader power relations uh, that involve 
not only national governments and local elites, but also international aid agencies, uh, transnational businesses, and other sort of global flows of, of capital and, 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 and resources. So the second reason that I, I think um, that is important to look at electricity in, in cities in Africa is that it has to do with the sustain, kind of question about the sustainability of how to power Africa's urban future. Africa is arguably undergoing an urban revolution, as Susan Parnell and Edgar Peterson have uh, kind of uh, put out in, in, in their recent book. And I'm sure there will be a lot of people who would disagree with that claim, but let's stick with it for now. Africa is only second to Asia in the rate of urbanization. Uh, over, in a way, this urbanization is happening, as many of you know, with recourse to slums. And I mean, I'm using slums as this catchphrase for all kinds of different forms of um, uh, urban environments. So we can talk more about that later on if you want. Um, but it's happening mostly via slums uh, as the dominant mode of urbanization. Uh, where security of land tenure and access to affordable and reliable infrastructures is often an elusive reality to many people. There's also, of course, the issue of the underlying, that these underlying material urban conditions um, come along with persistent inequality of income and the low rates of formal employment across, across the continent. But despite this sort of structural uncertainty, if you want to kind of call it, uh, the fast pace of urbanization comes with a growing desire for consuming more and more electricity. The problem is uh, that most of sub-Saharan Africa remains largely unelectrified. And there's also all kinds of issues about how these maps are produced, but... Uh, that's to give us an impression. Over 70% of the population in sub-Saharan Africa has no access to electricity. Um, much of the energy needs of the population continue to be serviced by traditional fuels like charcoal and uh, wood. Moreover, the rates of consumption of electricity per capita remain the lowest uh, in the world. If we look at the example of Mozambique, there, it takes 43 Mozambicans to consume on average the same as one person in the UK consumes per year. Uh, and of course these numbers are misleading because they will vary according to income and they will vary between urban and rural areas. But in, in a way they give us, a, give us a sense into the type of the economy and society and urban environments that Africans have at the moment. So if you consume, if you continue to presume that there is no alternative, almost a, the Tina option that uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher had for the economy a few years back, but if we think that there is no alternative to a just and equitable human development in Africa, uh, but to provide universal access to everybody, which seems to be I mean, utopian, but that's certainly what's in the latest uh, sustainable urban development goals, and that's what's uh, part of many initiatives um, uh, that have emerged over the last few years regarding 
access to electricity. So if we continue thinking about that, then we need to know more about what people are doing with electricity in Africa. If we are to understand what possible futures and sustainable urban futures are possible, is it possible to chart it to, to people? My, my last reason for why it matters to study electricity in African cities has to do with the limited knowledge about their electric urban ways of life. Um, UCLA anthropologist uh, Akil Gupta argued in this month's issue of cultural anthropology, I don't know if you've looked at that, it has a whole section on, on uh, uh, energy and electricity. It's quite a, a boon to me, but anyway, it's geeky. <laughs> Uh, um, in the in in that in the in the in this number of cultural anthropology, Akil Gupta uh, claimed we know almost absolutely nothing about what consumers in the global south are doing with energy. Uh, and while he was talking, a lot of his work uh, has been in, in India. Um, he claimed in that in the same article that our accounts of the everyday lives of people in the global south are incomplete uh, because they do not pay attention to the different ways in which people encounter modern infrastructure. Gupta noted that uh, while in the global north, infrastructure tends to kind of remain sort of in the background, uh, almost invisible, uh, until obviously they break down and then we're all like freaking out that we don't have electricity, can't connect our uh, laptops and etc. and charge our phones. Um, until, until it breaks down, we actually don't understand that they are uh, there. Uh, Gupta claimed that in the global south, infrastructure, or more precise, precisely, <coughs> its unpredictability and uncertainty or even absolute lack thereof is the permanent condition. It's actually the sort of permanent matter of concern if we want to borrow Bruno Latour's um, expression. So how people engage with that uncertainty on an everyday basis in African cities is then part and parcel of understanding what urban ways of life have been sort of normalized in the absence of widespread electrification or widespread access to electricity. In fact, as mentioned uh, earlier, because people continue to use a mix of, uh, of sources, uh, such as wood and, and charcoal, even though they might have a connection to, uh, uh, to the electricity uh, grid, the everyday practices of electricity production, distribution, and, con and consumption are just one thread of, of wider, more complex material networks and often even informal economies through which people in Africa uh, and African cities satisfy their own energy needs. So in this presentation, I'll focus specifically on this issue of uh, what do we know about urban ways of life that are being facilitated and enabled by the transition to prepaid electricity. So I'll, with the time that I have left, um, I wanted to uh, share to, with you some insights from my, uh, the work that I've been doing in, in Maputo over the last uh, few years. Um, so as a way to illustrate some of these, these points that I've been uh, making thus far. 
the, the grid rollout and supply of electricity to Maputo has, has been an enduring problem since, since colonial times. Financial constraints and profit-driven uh, concessions uh, troubled the provision of public lighting uh, since it started in 1898, so pretty much around the same time that other places around the world were being electrified. Um, Plans for tapping into the vast hydropower potential of Mozambique began developing only in the 1960s, with a view to generating revenues from electricity export to South Africa, and also uh, meeting the secure uh, electricity supply to the south of Mozambique, and particularly Maputo, which is very close to the border with South Africa. However, this only came uh, into being after the completion of, of that major dam, the Kaorabase Dam, which remains the largest in the country, uh, which is in the Zambezi River, a bit kind of in the, in the middle of the country. And this happened only after independence in 1975. Uh, at this time, the transmission grid was very limited, as we can, I don't know if you can really see, but if we, the dam was up there, there was a major transmission grid that bypassed the entire country, sending it to South Africa, to Pretoria, and from there, it was rerouted into the country, into Maputo. Uh, and, and there were a bit of, of some uh, bits of uh, network around there, but there wasn't much more uh, on the rest of, of the country. And it went on throughout the years, um, expanding a bit, a bit more. Uh, and the grid that we have today is not much different from what was there in 2005. There are a few new projects, but it hasn't changed much. But this is the transmission grid, which means what is sent from the production into the distribution center. So it does, it's not obviously showing you the, the grid in homes, but just gives you a, an idea of where does electricity reach the country, or at least the electricity from the grid, the on-grid uh, electricity. So at this time, the grid was very limited in, at the independence, 75. There's an estimated, uh, it's, a, it's actually a, a guesstimate that it might be about 5% of the population had access to electricity uh, at this time. And certainly those 5% probably corresponded mostly to Maputo. Um, so the Mozambican government uh, opted for the centralization of of all of these functions around electricity production, transmission, and distribution in a state-owned electricity company called EDM. And I'll probably say EDM many times, so when you hear that, that's, that's the name of the electricity company. Um, the government saw uh, in the utility company a strong sort of political economic contribution to the development of, of national sovereignty along socialist lines. And um, now the, that sentence by Lenin really escapes me, but uh, he had this uh, really wonderful quote about the importance of electricity and, uh, uh, and, and workers for the Bolshevik revolution. But so that is all, all of it very, very important. Anyway, um, the, the company went on to slowly expanding the grid, so all of that work they did uh, since, since independence. But in spite of that strong political backing, backing and, and a lot of tariff subsidies that made electricity really cheap, uh, the company faced many, well, I mean, not really cheap for everybody, but cheap, 
cheap compared to how it costs to be produced. Anyway, um, despite that, the company faced many difficulties, uh, and they had to do uh, uh, a lot with uh, diminishing technical and operational capacity, uh, with substantial shortages of equipment, um, and then sabotage of, of the transmissions line by guerrillas during the Mozambican uh, Civil War. Um, it is interesting because um, the, in the colonial wars, the independence, the liberation wars, the, the dam and the transmission lines were also a, a, a center of uh, attack by the Mozambican liberation movement. So the, it's interesting how the, the electricity uh, grid has always been an instrument in these sort of wider political um, uh, struggles. But basically, with those sabotage, uh, between 87 and 1997, 81 and 97, uh, there was no supply of electricity from the dam, and that meant that uh, Mozambique actually needed to acquire electricity directly from South Africa, which, I mean, because the electricity was being rerouted here and whatever came into the country was at a cheap, cheaper deal. But if none was getting into South Africa, they just had to buy it from South Africa, really, and that was much more uh, expensive. So overall, this situation created a culture within the company, within ADM, that put a high price on managing the uncertainty of electricity supply. ADM conceived of electricity security not just in economic, but also in physical and symbolic uh, terms. It involved a constant preoccupation with the minimization of operational costs, the reduction of technical losses, and the determination to curtail electricity waste and theft uh, by what they saw to be the uneducated and uncivil citizens and clients of, of uh, their clients. This sort of non-paying client who tempered, destroyed, and damaged the electricity infrastructure were often likened uh, in the conversations that I had to a popular figure. I don't know if you know anything about Mozambican, uh, but it's that's Shikunyoka. Uh, that's a very uh, peculiar figure that came in the post-independence, um, whose improper behavior was the internal enemy of the post-independence socialist uh, revolution. So you have... Um, he says, you know, the Shikunyoka is, is the enemy. Nyoka in... Nyoka uh, in, um, in the local uh, language means snake, and Chico is just a, a it's like John in English but in, in Portuguese. So there was this, this one person who was devious kind of behavior. So the comp people in the company often kind of likened the people to the clients to, to this type of, of person. So when they started thinking about deploying uh, the prepaid electricity in 95, it kind of reflected all of these conceptions uh, and of uncertainty and security, electricity security, etc. But also an acknowledgement of widespread income poverty. In the post-Civil War uh, context of high inflation and economic hardship, the Mozambican population had very limited capacity to pay for um, utility services. So electricity theft was actually the only way through which many people could uh, in, a, in any way access 
a sort of a better uh, livelihood. At the end, uh, the company's relative, relatively long inefficient billing si- uh, cycle created intense conflicts with clients due to sort of incorrect billing of uh, estimates. Uh, and also due to the disconnections that followed uh, prolonged debt. Um, not only, and that's a curious thing, not only of households, but also uh, prolonged debt by public institutions and, uh, and uh, other very important people within, within the, the, political, the political system. Uh, these, conf- these conflicts often ended with retaliation against the uh, company staff, uh, either uh, because you, there were disagreements about the bill or because some of these workers uh, would come uh, month after month after month to people who were stealing electricity to demand some form of payment so that they kept um, uh, turning a blind, uh, a blind eye to uh, their electricity theft. So the situation made it very difficult for the company to, to generate a constant and predictable revenue stream that was necessary to match the costs of what they needed to pay back to South Africa. So that's when prepayment became a reasonable technical solution for curbing this uncertainty and, and, and it was also more politically paddle, uh, palatable because for the government... Um, the, the last thing they wanted was to raise uh, the tariffs and, and then have to deal with uh, social unrest. Um, so prepayment was, was first introduced as a pilot project in... Uh, in uh, this, this is the municipality of Maputo. There's a bit of that that is cut up there. And this bit here is the colonial bit. Uh, and at independence, maybe the city wasn't much larger than this bit. So now Maputo is actually much larger. But the prepayment started in uh, Matola, which is a, a, a city sort of uh, next door, with a project of 500 households that had uh, uh, long-standing uh, debt. And the system was so successful in recovering that debt that... Uh, the company decided to generalize prepayment as the default method for all households and small businesses. Um, Today, over 95% of uh, the company's clients in the city of Maputo are on a prepaid meter. So that's the vast majority of their their clients. And uh, the the estimate is that 97% of the people within the city and, and that the city is all, all of that uh, space of the municipality. About 97% of them have connection to, uh, to the electricity grid. And, I mean, that's quite a feat to a city that 20 years before, only a third of the population was actually connected. Um, but we shouldn't be, in a way, fooled by the numbers, because obviously... Uh, having an electricity connection is not the same as being able to consume it liberally and, uh, and all, all, all the time. And this is particularly the case uh, in the peripheries of Maputo, where nearly half of the households are classified as poor or very poor. So prepayment has 
played a critical role, not just in in somehow recovering these funds in order to invest it back into the uh, into the expansion of, of the grid, but it has also played a crucial role in reframing what people consider acceptable standard of service uh, by facilitating convenient and familiar practices of consumption. Um, and what I'm going to talk now is mostly about um, actually a lot of, of the work that I did was not in the colonial city but was actually all outside um, and that's where most of my findings uh, are based on and that's a quite a very complex income structure of, of, of that region. You can't really say that that's... Uh, uh, informal settlements. There's all kinds of people in all kinds of places, but a lot of the a lot of the uh, insights that I'm going to share with you right now are uh, have to do with people of more modest incomes. Um, so one thing, let me go then to the picture. One thing that the meter allows you probably can't really see at the distance, but the meter shows you how many units kilowatts are uh, remaining. Uh, the way that it works is that uh, you go to a, a vending shop, you bring in the number of your meter, um, and you put in you know, wh- however money, much money you want, and they give you back a numeric code that corresponds to the number of kilowatts of the money that you paid. So you come home and put in that numeric code here, and it tops up. Basically, it's a top-up system. And what it does is that once you top up, you can actually see the electricity sort of ticking off because you can see the number decreasing as you, kept, you keep using it. So in, in having that sort of visually displaying the outs, outstanding uh, electricity units facilitates a very practical understanding of which appliances consume how much electricity and how long will it take until the household runs out of electricity. People will know if they turn on the iron to get on with the, you know, the shirts or whatever, they will say, oh, it's, uh, it's running too fast. Actually, they say it eats a lot of units. Uh, ironing eats a lot of, of units. Um, what else uh, eats a lot of units? Like uh, air conditioning eats a lot of units for those who are fortunate enough to have. Uh, but other things don't eat a lot of units. Um, so what people can do is that they will know that if they come to the store, the vending store, with 100 metakaj, which is the local currency, is about two pounds, more or less, they can buy 30 kilowatts hours, and that will last them one day. Of course, this, this, you know, this triad is, is never the same to different households because people will consume uh, more electricity. Um, but at least it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a practical knowledge they develop from the everyday interaction with the meter in view of controlling consumption, their own consumption. And it, it is a very sort of, a, a very practical heuristic, a practical way in which people can do their everyday calculations irrespective of their level of technical literacy. The prepaid meter does becomes a sort of a mediator of life after dark. Uh, as the different members of the household make pragmatic choices about how to use electricity, only the electricity that they can afford. Uh, For instance, many households that I uh, uh, spoke to would very easily forsake 
having the refrigerator or the lights on, if that meant they could save some money, uh, some, some electricity, to then watch TV, particularly uh, Mexican soap operas, which they are very, very much fans of. That's, you know, that's their choices. Uh, for households with an uncertain uh, source of income, this possibility of buying small units, you can just go and pay two pounds or another two pounds, etc. Um, these sort of very small increments of electricity uh, fits very conveniently with other familiar routines for acquiring goods like bread or even charcoal, which they never actually stop buying even though they have uh, an electricity connection. What people use electricity for is as much a reflection of their basic needs and disposable income as it is of their social aspirations for a better, more dignified livelihood. Having electricity uh, has sort of been normalized in a way and is, is, is seen as a necessity for most people. Uh, it is a basic element in the life of comfort and convenience that alludes to specific modern ways of life. People will take, obviously, several years to save enough money to wire up the house, and mostly because paying for the contract is in itself a part that is quite expensive. But they will take quite a long time to save that money to wire up the house and pool resources with their neighbours to actually make a connection to the grid. And all of this is an, an integral part of a lifelong project of improvement of one's uh, own individual life and the family life. I don't know if you know the work of, of one of the colleagues in, in the department, uh, Julie Archambault, um, and uh, she works in Inyambana, which is uh, another Mozambican city but to, to the north of Maputo. And, and in her work, she shows how these home improvements are uh, central to how people make payday decisions and payday plans uh, as hopeful ways of engaging with the uncertainty in their lives. In a way, people have very little expectation that the electricity company or the state will help them sort their electricity needs or, and, and many other needs uh, in, many, in many ways. Uh, in a sort of a role reversal of how the company sees its clients, residents of, of Maputo often liken the company to a thief, charging for more electricity than uh, could have been possibly consumed. Um, and the company, the company is derided in many other ways. Uh, for instance, media outlets that are unsympathetic to the government, such as the newspaper Verdade or, or The Truth that I'm, I'm showing here, rarely miss an opportunity to hit out on the company. This, this one particular, uh, the, 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 the Verdade, has a, uh, this column which is called the Shikunyoka of the Week. Uh, and we can see Shikunyoka there. Uh, once again. And that's a, uh, a popular column that people can uh, send their votes in for who was the, the, the shikunyaka of that one particular week. And uh, I don't know if you see, but you can, you can vote either via uh, text message or WhatsApp. Um, so there are many options for you to actually participate in this, in this column. Um, and in this one case, it says... Uh, EDM and its uh, constant uh, black, uh, blackouts, uh, where they have elected the company uh, as the Shikunyaka of the week. Um, and in, in a way, 
this is an expression of how they see the company also as the sort of public enemy, as uh, incredibly disrespectful to the Mozambican people, and it's sort of arrogance and, and poor service to clients. It's an interesting inversion of roles. The recent introduction of electricity top-up, digital top-ups, uh, and the name of the, actually the name of the system is called Credilec. The prepaid system has, has that name. Um, the, the introduction of these, of these specific digital top-ups via either mobile phones or ATMs has helped to ease some of these sort of contested relationships between the company and its clients. But more, important, uh, more importantly, the digital purchase had, as you can see from these images, had a layer of symbolic sophistication to electricity consumption that calls upon Mozambicans to identify with middle-class ways of life. I mean, I'm not sure if it is an, a level of sophistication about electricity consumption or just electricity purchase, actually, being able to purchase in a very sophisticated uh, way. As the company CEO uh, said at the time that these mobile services, digital services, were launched, our clients can now buy electricity everywhere, anytime. And this is, in a way, a very paradoxical play with the uncertainty of the infrastructure in itself, because prepayment holds the certainty of future consumption, but it cannot promise you the security or the certainty of the actual supply. Right? You can... You can certainly buy it whenever there's electricity available. You will be able to consume it, but if there's no electricity, I'm sorry, but you can do it. You can buy it everywhere, anytime. You might not be able to consume it everywhere, anytime, but that's another uh, aspect. So with that, let me then uh, conclude. What can we learn from the case of, of Maputo and this transition to uh, prepaid electricity? One of the initial questions posed by uh, the project Electric Urbanism was whether or not prepayment, prepayment reflects and is speci- especially attuned to a way, of li- a way of life pervaded by uncertainties of ill-functioning infrastructure persistent poverty and inequality, and weak governance. The case of Maputo seems to suggest that this is certainly the case in, in, in a certain way. Prepayment as a technology is imbued with a politics that presumes a poor consumer, a poorly legible uh, urban environment, perhaps even a poor network service and a weak governing infrastructure. It can computerize chaos, as Yusuf said, by providing legibility to a system that is pervaded by this provisionality. It makes living with this uncertainty much more bearable, much more predictable to a certain extent. At the same time, the way people relate to prepayment captures the lived experiences of uncertainty with and through uncertainty. People's hopes and their imagined futures of what kinds of life they want to have in a city like Maputo. 
a sort of hypervigilance, you know, looking at the meter constantly, check out the, the, the units. That sort of hypervigilance in relation to electricity consumption emerges through the everyday pragmatic calculations facilitated by the meter itself. In a way, prepayment makes some people painfully aware of their condition of urban poor. But across the board, the expansion, the expansion of access to electricity facilitated by prepayment has now become a site for contesting the tense relationships between states and citizens, as exemplified by the Shikunyaka's uh, cartoons. This lived experiences of prepaid electricity, uh, electric urban life, while historically specific to Maputo, uh, to a certain extent, illustrate the ways through, uh, through which African cities are being powered with and through uncertainty. Unlike cities in the global north, where electricity was essential to the emergence of a modern urban uh, cosmopolitan way of life, African, and particularly sub-Saharan Africa, uh, urbanized without much electrification. And in noting this, I'm not partaking here in views of Africa as the dark continent, literally or figuratively, waiting for white explorers and missionaries to bring in it into modernity with smart infrastructures, prepaid meters, and other technological paraphernalia. But instead, I think it is much more helpful to examine the relationship between energy-related infrastructures and technologies and the urban environments that they help create by comp uh, capturing the complexity of life in African cities as they are, not as they ought to be or should have been. What the late electrification of Maputo via prepaid technology seems to reveal in the overall is the normalization of a way of life pervaded by uncertainty. In other words, the acceptance that uncertainty may be momentarily brought under control but never really done away with in the African city. Thank you very much.